You are now listening to Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gap. Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them, and that he was also a necrophiliac. <laughs> Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Matt Madden, along with Gabby Gap. And today, narrating with Big Todd Fox. That's right, but before we kick into our episode, we want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Just type in Grinding True Crime. Then you can follow our page, subscribe to our page, like our page, leave a comment on our page, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. And we mean as soon as possible. Uh, if you want to listen to us on your uh, podcast streams, you can just listen to us on Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, Podvine, and Zencaster. And for those listening to us out of the U.S., you can continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. If you like what you hear and you want to be a Patreon member, and, uh, and if you would like to, you just have to download Podbean. And there you can follow the link on our Podbean page and you become a Patreon member. Listener's discretion is advised. We do get into details that can be uh, not suitable for a certain audience. So listener's discretion is advised. And last but not least, we know we've been very busy and we apologize. In the last couple of months, we haven't gone live. But that's all going to change this month. October 29th, Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Unfortunately, we have to keep that time, and we apologize for those outside of the U.S. who have different time zone. But this, uh, not son- I'm, I'm sorry, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, October 29th, 5 p.m. Pacific time, we will be going live again, and we're going to be taking calls as well. So, mark your calendar. We will be back live once again. That's October 29th, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Okay, that's pretty much it. I knocked everything out. Todd Fox, you got the floor, my man. What kind of story are you breaking down for us today? Well, thank you, sir. <clears throat> As we get started on tonight's story, um, just want <laughs> just wanted to put it out there that we're going to be cranking out some stories here starting in November. Uh, we're going to have a lot of them to go, so we'll have an update on that as well as an announcement because uh, we're going to be cranking out the stories. We've been <laughs> It's been a tough uh, year, as you guys have known. We've kind of relayed that a few times. And uh, we, we've just been doing the stories whenever we can, but we're going to have easier schedules and um, we're going to be giving you more content. So there you go. So hopefully you guys can enjoy out there. Absolutely. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so this episode, uh, again, I promised I would stay out of L.A., but I have a knack for finding <laughs> these L.A. cases. And uh, I might just do something like that later on for like a, a side thing on Patreon or whatever. But um the, you're gonna have to endure one more before I go international uh, again. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> but this one right here, uh, it's gonna be Los Angeles. It's gonna deal with Chicago as well. So we're gonna have Middle America, big cities, both of them. Um, but this one's a little outside the box. Um, are you guys familiar with the series, the TV series Dragnet? Yes, I am. Familiar. Well, I I know what it is. I'm not familiar with it. I know what you're talking about. I don't. Okay. So <clears throat> basically it was one of the first uh, police dramas on radio uh, back in the day when everyone would huddle around the radio to, you know, theater of the mind because TV mm-hmm. wasn't out yet. No TV. No TV. Uh, but it uh, Jack Webb was a famous, um, you know, radio guy, and uh, he got the series started, and it was based off of real Los Angeles cases. They just changed the – the names to protect the innocent. That's where that came from, you know, the names mm-hmm. and dates to protect the innocent. So the TV show would start in the late 40s to early 50s due to the success of the wartime radio show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it would have that famous. Yeah, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, the it, it just 
kept winning radio awards. Uh, it won Emmy awards. Uh, Jack Webb would go on to reprise that um, that famous uh, role of his as as uh, Sergeant Friday in the LAPD uh, for almost like fifty years. Um, and up until his death, they were going to re, re uh, redo it again, and it spawned a lot of other TV shows. And but the reason why I bring that up is because. <clears throat> If you listen to the old episodes or you watch an old episode of Dragnet, they were the real cases, except sometimes they would race swap the characters if they didn't fit the narrative, if they wanted to present the case a certain way, or they would change the dates, or the if it was a male a victim, they'd make it a female victim. But I <clears throat> remember an episode, it was called The Brickbat Slayer, and mm-hmm. I started to do a little research and I was like, damn, this is a real case. And once I started to research it, I couldn't stop. It was a really, really uh, different case than I'd ever heard of. And it was one of those that gets lost in, um, I guess, the many cases and murders of Los Angeles back in the day. But um, it's very interesting. So we're going to present that one tonight. It's called the Brickback Slayer. And uh, Rick Rack, try saying that three times, yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's an interesting case. So, uh, any questions before we get started? Hmm. No questions asked, my brother. I want to hear this case. All right, well, let's start it out then. Um, <clears throat> let's start it out with a man or a young man by the name of Robert Nixon. So Robert Nixon was born July 19th. This would tell you how far we're going to go back. Uh, he was mm-hmm. born 1919. Oh, dang. In a small town in Tallulah, Louisiana. Tallulah. Tallulah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> he would be um, subject to a lot of um, issues for his age because he was a young black boy. And so he he had to deal with some pretty tough racism down there in Louisiana at the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Louisiana still has its pockets of that crap to this day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, he would, he would, um, he would even face racism towards the end of his, uh, his career, um, of killing because he would be known as the brick bat bat, Brick Bat Slayer. I can't even say it once. <laughs> but once the media found out that it, that he was African American slash black, they started calling him the Brick Bat Moron, insin- oh, insinuating that he was just an idiot. You know. That's um, yeah. Um. So he he grew up. Um. He had a couple siblings. No father. Um. Figure in his life. Um. Uh, he dropped out of school in the fifth grade. <clears throat> His mom worked, um, uh, interestingly enough, for the local sheriff. And she, oh, wow. she was a cook for their family and a mm-hmm. maid, you know, for their household. So um, he didn't like the strict rules that his mom had at, at one point. And his older brother had moved to Chicago and was doing a pretty good, you know, had a nice little job of being a... Uh, limo driver so he recruited his younger brother Robert to move up to Chicago with him and he did so and um, he began to drive (laughs) at the age of 14 yeah he was sort of like your bellhop slash you know I'm going to take the new person in town downtown or around the area and you know and he he looked a little older for his age at the age of 14 So he made a good living for a little bit until his brother decided to move to New York, which for whatever reason, Robert decided not to join him. And when he couldn't make it on his own in Chicago, he, he started to ride the rails and he went west towards Nevada. He stayed there for a little bit and then he moved to San Francisco. He stayed there for a little bit. And then he would move on to Los Angeles in 1937. Mm. <clears throat> so he's 16 at this time, and he's been on his own for two years. And he's been all over the uh, states, so to speak. 
Yeah, yeah, he sure has. And mm. uh, I, I got to say, at this point, <clears throat> I'm I'm pretty amazed. You know, like he's he's been able to take care of himself, and um, you know, he's not in too many compromising areas. And to give you another um, aspect of his intelligence, because he could have just become a bum, he could have, mm-hmm. you know, been a thief at this point. But he had been working, and then he got to Los Angeles to where he got into a couple silent films as an extra. And Don't sound like moron to me. No, not <laughs> at all. Um, he got into a movie called Slave Ship, and he was an extra slash. You know, he had a couple. You know, obviously you don't have lines, but he had a couple mm. scenes and he got paid kind of handsomely for this. And he was living in a, not the best apartment, but he had an apartment by himself in South Central Los Angeles. And he looked about 18 at this point, but he was really only about uh, 16. Well, good for him. Or 17 at this point. So, yeah, yeah there you go. Good <clears> so, for him. He's doing pretty good in yeah, the story. Th- <laughs> yeah, let's end the story right now. <laughs> yeah, but the but unfortunately, there was um, you know we we looked too far ahead because there was some things that happened before this. Um, so he there's some some, some murkiness that starts to come to um, the surface here. So we have a we have a date. Ah oh, man. Yep. Already. on this show oh yeah someone's getting hurt or not gonna wake up from whatever they're gonna endure right now so (sighs) january 25th 1937 uh a a woman by the name of uh zabby i don't you know that's just the name zabby calwells uh was recovering from surgery in montesinto hospital which is not too far from where i live Mm-hmm. Uh, she woke up to a young man with a brick, just a brick in his hand, <clears throat> hammering down upon her head and beating what? her and beating her until she was screaming out loud to where some of the orderlies came down <clears throat> the aisle, rushed into her room just to see a man escaping out the window and going down the fire escape. Yo. How did nobody see him before that? Well, he, he, um, what you're going to learn what his MO is, is he goes to buildings that have fire escapes on the outside. Mm. And he breaks in through windows. Mm. So those fire escapes, if you guys don't know them out of, out of the country, is um, basically those metal things that used to be built on the side of the home, on the uh, apartment buildings, mm-hmm. condos, you know, high risers, where it's a, a, a litany oh, of stairs. Yeah, and ladders. Mm-hmm that you can climb just in case there's a fire and the elevators are down, the staircases are down. You can go on the outside mm-hmm. of the building. So they still got a few in New York when the last time I went out. Yeah. They're not as prevalent now. They don't build them now, but back in the day, <laughs> in the day they had. yeah, they were on it just about every building. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, the police would investigate and pull a couple fingerprints, but nothing else came of the case. Um, <clears throat> she would survive though. She would survive. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the next um, the situation that popped up, and that's at the Barclay Hotel, which is located in the heart of downtown Los Angeles on 4th and Main Street. It is the oldest continuing operating hotel. It was first opened in 1897. Dang. So it's still running. And it's to this still day. up. Yeah, it's still going to this day. Dang, man. 1897. Yeah, it's it's got it's got limited um use to this day. Mm-hmm. Like they have some owners that are really not keeping it up, but um <clears throat> it's still running. So but um that hotel has a rich dark history. But this is just one of the cases that took place there. Um a few days later after the initial incident there in 1937. A woman by the name of Elizabeth Reese, she was 71 years old, wealthy, and coming in from uh, a trip overseas. She caught a train in Akron, Ohio, and then uh, she she continued to go west to Los Angeles. 
She had some business to take care of, so she was staying at the Barclay, which at that time was a really nice hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had got. She had not been. Um, <clears throat> she had not left her room for two nights, so they um, the staff was wanting to clean her room, and she was due to check out. So they were wondering if something had happened, and was she even in the room? And the cr- cleaning crew came up there and unlocked the door. And when they got in there, upon entering, they saw Reese at 71 years old sitting in a chair in the corner uh, of the room, bloodied from the head to toe with a brick Oof. at the side of her chair. Ooh. Yeah, she, uh, her head was... Uh, they say that there was a portion of her skull that was visible. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and the window to the fire escape was was open. Okay. Mm-hmm. And here's the twist in this. Um, there's two twists actually. The detectives were very puzzled. Uh, there was no, um, there was fingerprints found, but there was no uh, j- jewelry or possession stolen. She still was wearing her pearl necklace that was worth. What? Quite a few money. Uh, quite quite a few money. <laughs> quite a few money. <laughs> quite a bit That's a money. One. Yeah, it they is. She didn't took in the monies. <laughs> she didn't take. She didn't took in the monies. No. <laughs> she didn't took in the monies. Somewhere that English teacher is rolling over. She's pissed right now. Right now, or she's screaming. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she had a huge diamond ring on her finger that wasn't took in either. Um, what? Yeah. And what was the mo? Well. Well, well, the M.O. so far is just... He don't like old ladies, apparently. He just comes in with a brick and and hammers them. He's a brick. Oh, my God. Ow. I'm sorry. No, but... That's, poor that's, taste. That's, poor taste. I'm sorry. That's, that's <laughs> on me. But, no, seriously, like, I don't get it. You, you're, you're beating on these women with bricks, but you're, you know, they are wealthy. You would think they would take the money. You would think so. You would think so. Now, here's here's the second one, though. Here's the second twist. I mean, this one I didn't see coming either when I was doing the, the research for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, she lost a ton of blood, and she still survived. No way. She was Even sit- with her skull open? Yeah, she was there for nearly 48 hours. Dang. Yeah. Yo, and- she had the will to live. I I, I love it. And somehow, some way, the worst that she suffered after after this was losing the hearing in her left ear. Wow. So, even when... she remembered everything? She did remember the assault, yes. But she was not able to give a good enough description to police. Mm -hmm. And how she wound up in the chair, she didn't remember. But she just remembered the man leaving outside of the window and that's all. And then she kind of like just passed out, but she was, she would intermediately wake up from time to time, but not have the energy to get out of the chair. And they were, yeah. Dang. Well, go ahead. No, I was just going to just bring that up. Like, man, she must didn't have the energy to get up because she was sitting there for two days. Yep. You know, just basically bleeding out. Yeah. For some, some fortunate, uh, fortunate for her that she didn't have any kind of like hemorrhaging or anything else like that because mm-hmm. some sometimes when you get wounds like that they tend to either not bleed for whatever reason um because they clog up or or they they bleed out and people die fast but yeah you're right <clears throat> but they were speculating if she had stayed another maybe five to six hours she would have died with, mm. with, with any kind of help but modern medicine in 1937 was able to save her in surgery so wow Good for her. She went on to be elderly and be beaten like that. And you just sit there for that long. Correct. Correct. Mm. And she went on to live another 16 years. So she died at 87. Good for her. For her to survive that attack. Yeah. And that's a long time to live at that (laughs) around that time period. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So. On February 14th at the Rosslyn Hotel in Los Angeles, a couple was visiting from out of state. 
They came back to their room after a night on the town to find Nixon looting their hotel. He then jumped out of the uh, fire escape, down the fire escape, left fingerprints at the scene again. But again, the problem back then in 1937, you're not able to take the fingerprints and throw them into a computer and get results within minutes. Uh You need a team of detectives or agents to be painstakingly matching fingerprint to fingerprint and if it doesn't match you just move on and move on and it just takes forever and you have to mm-hmm. you have to match up every little groove in that finger uh you know in the fingerprint to see if it makes the same or has the same kind of markings it's it's just wow i didn't know how they do it back then like or i don't know how they did it back then boy i'm not talking good am i I, I, it's understandable, man. You know, it's understandable. A little, we're a little rusty. <laughs> no, yeah. No, but dang, I didn't realize that too. That's a tedious job, man. Oh, it sure is. It sure is. Because I remember Jesus. watching one of these episodes. You know, when they made the radio version over to the television, and I'm like, damn, mm-hmm. look at look at them. Like, <laughs> there's a whole lab just working on one case. <laughs> it's like taking dang, forever. Daniel. So, man, I mean respectfully i can understand why it did take so long to find a killer in those times because yeah you you spend hours just trying to identify one fingerprint on one person because you gotta you know make sure everything match so dang that sucks yeah so they they really they really hoped or or they really had to see these cases as far as the mo's and put them together which they didn't Mm -hmm. have at the time Mm -hmm. So, um, again, the the broom was, or the broom, the the brick was found in the room where these two people had, you know, surprised Nixon. Like he already had a broom, or a broom. I keep saying broom. He had a brick. It's October. (laughs) It's October, man. Yeah. Jeez. Okay, Gabby. Whatever. Hey, forget about your transportation for a minute, okay? Focus on the case talk. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll put, I'll put away my uh, hat and whatnot. Uh, so uh, let's move on to February 16th, two days later. So this is just two days after the, you know, he tried to, to steal some things and possibly, you know, hurt somebody else. Uh, Lila Torres, who lived on South Santee Street, which is in, in Los Angeles as well, close to downtown um upon entering her unit uh robert knocked over an ashtray and that startled her uh she began to scream and the neighbors came out as robert was startled and left outside of her window they saw him crawling out and uh there was several people that were that spotted him and said it was a young black man six feet tall running away from the scene so they had finally a visual on on the type of man it was or the race it was but that's about all they had Mm. so So, nobody's considering like all these crimes that it's one person not at this time no we're getting close to that but not at this time they're just not the LAPD is uh, like they're 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 beginning to get overwhelmed because you have at that time in the 30s you have um violent crimes of some mobs breaking out you have some racial stuff going with the italians and and uh the latinos and you have then you have the blacks uh fighting with the with the police uh because there was racial injustices going on back then too and uh more prevalent obviously uh then than now but uh but you just had all kinds of turmoil and you know, you had sporad- you had violence. I mean, if you look into, uh, I've got a couple books on early LA crime, and it's you know it's pretty crazy stuff that went on back then. You know, mm. a lot of crazy cases, and really tested the 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 real good police from the bad police, and then tested the overall citizens to the people that were causing havoc. So, mm. um, yeah, so. Moving forward, though, just south of there, a couple blocks over, there was a family, um, a married couple. Uh, the Valdezes uh, were there. The The husband, um, uh, what was his name? Um, I had it written right here. Um, yeah, the husband was, uh, oh, Valence, uh, Valence, 
Valence or something like that. It's uh, <laughs> or maybe it's Valencia. Or maybe I wrote it down wrong. Valencia. Oh. We'll give him Valencia. Va- Valencia. <laughs> there you go. I think that is. I think I've, I spelled it wrong. Go figure. Um, <laughs> it's okay. And the wife was named Rose, and they had a four-month-old that was named Flora. So, wow, you know, pretty names uh-huh. right there: Valencio, hey. Rose, and Flora. So Valencio was uh, at work at this time. So this was like early morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like an apartment complex or a duplex. So the places were fairly close together, about 12 units. And um, as <clears throat> the day went on, it was about 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And there were several people that were going to the manager's office or manager's apartment unit and saying, hey, the baby is crying you know, I can't sleep or it's frustrating. I'm hearing the baby crying. Can't that woman get that kid in line? And they were complaining. And so the the manager's like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go check on Rose. Maybe she's having trouble with the baby. The baby's got cold or something. You guys need to chill, you know, like you need to relax. Uh-huh. And so she goes over there, knocks on the door. She could hear the baby crying and something told her to enter the door and let herself in. So she did. And as she walked in the room, um, she saw Rose on her back with a pillow over her head and there was blood spatter all over the wall Ugh. and she saw the baby in the crib next to her crying and she just picked up the baby and then called police she, ra- she ran mm. out of the house mm. Mm-mm. Um, when police got there they automatically suspected the husband until they realized he was at work and then they found a brick that was in the kitchen next to um, the kitchen table, which had food that was was eaten by the killer. Dang, bro. So this fool just goes around carrying a brick. Yeah, or picking up a brick and then going in. Because it's not wow. the same brick. You know, so he's, he's leaving a brick at every crime scene. So... Yeah, so now that the assaults and murders are, are piling up. Um, so she didn't survive, She right? didn't survive. No, she didn't survive. She was dead on arrival when they found uh, her. He bashed her head in pretty good. Dang. Yeah. Um, so now the, the police are starting to put this together, and they're, they're saying, okay, we might be looking for an African-American at this point. And so this is not going to go over good in the, in the African-American community because now <clears throat> the police are going to start looking for them and profiling, obviously. So they're doing their thing. They're trying, they have all they know is it's a male and it's a young male. So there's a lot of young men that are working class have nothing to do with this, that are working at the shipyards, the freight yards at this time, downtown, and they're getting picked on by the police, you know, every five seconds. Where were you? You know, they're, they're yeah. getting pulled so in. So is, is media giving it some press? Yeah, because now, you know, you have a housewife that's murdered. And, you know, and although she's a minority at the time, it, it makes news because the child could have been killed. You know, mm-hmm. the, the rash of other break-ins, your, um, the other people that were surprised were you know from out of town so you want to protect the business side of things so yeah it's it's getting a a, it's getting a lot of uh uh what is it what is it called press now yeah i bet you those tenants who were pressing the issue probably felt bad after they realized why the baby was crying i hope they did yeah but we'll never know we'll never know nearly a hundred years ago I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking about no, it. I know. Man, I, I would have felt bad. Like, dang, you know, now I see why the baby was crying. Like, you know, I feel bad. You know. Yeah, it makes sense, though. It makes sense. <clears throat> um, So, you know, we've moved on now to March, and there's been a couple other botched robberies within those blocks. And so the police are now conducting what they call a dragnet, which is named after the show where they put all hands on deck. They have police from different agencies will join the Los Angeles Police Department and they're scouring the city setting up roadblocks they're like I said they're profiling they're checking random people they want to catch this guy like they're they put a bolo on every black man (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly they're all wait Johnson he's black get him you're on the lookout who black (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty tough, man. It must have been tough at Dang. the time. Oh, I can imagine. Especially, you know, that, like you said, all that uh, racial tension going on. You know, yep. the police pretty much had their hands tied, in a sense, on this case. Yeah, I mean, because at one point you could feel for them because they're trying to do their deal, due gi- diligence. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, there's some bad cops out there that abuse the power and oh yeah, roughed up some young men that shouldn't have been roughed up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was a victim of that. Yeah, see, yeah, it's unfortunate. <clears throat> but here's another twist in the story: Robert Nixon gets himself a partner. Ooh. By the name of Howard Jones Green. Oh, you know he black. Why does that name sound familiar? <laughs> Howard Jones Green. He got every first name in the black community. <laughs> oh, jeez. He's all, let's make it the trifecta. <laughs> so these two would go on to find an apartment building. They would case it and find a young woman that, well, that they thought was a good and easy mark. They would go up the, uh, there was an alleyway with a brick wall that they climbed to get to one of those uh, fire escapes. And they climbed into the room to surprise a woman by the name of Zoe DeMerrill. Nixon right away attacks her and starts beating her in the head with a brick as uh, Green goes over to her purse and then starts rummaging through her um, through her drawers in her room. And they get money and jewelry. And uh, <clears throat> they would take the stuff that she had upon her person. And um, they, they would leave. Uh, the neighbor would hear the commotion and storm into the house to just see the young men running down the street out the window. And the, their neighbor, Zoe, just battered and bleeding on the floor. Um, they, the police that first got there were taking the last will and testimony because they were thinking that, hey, you know, who did this to you? Because we're trying to get as much information as possible because we think you're going to die, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, she would go on to survive despite this, uh, the vicious attack. She took 17 blows to the head. Yo. Uh, well, now they're stealing things? They're stealing things, yes. So... Initially, it was just probably the thrill of breaking in and bashing people's head. Now they're actually taking... It's probably the partner that wants to steal. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. he didn't care about that. No, not not to this point. Robert's in it for, the, for not the assault. He's in it just yeah. to steal. Yeah. And it looked like initially in the beginning that he was targeting older women. But now it's like, I, I wonder how he picks out his victims, you know? Well, 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 I'll explain that in a minute here, too. Ooh, I'm jumping ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I like the way you're going with this, though. Um, but this one, uh, you know, Zoe Zoe took the memory loss uh, till the day she died. She had brain damage and was not able to <laughs> function the rest of her life as a normal person would. So mm. <clears throat> that was very tough for her. She never quite recovered from that one. That sucks. So, out of all of the ones that we've dis- that we discussed so far, this one, as far as the LA ones, was the worst one. So, listener discretion is advised on this one. And also, uh, this one's tough. Uh, this happened on April fourth, nineteen thirty-seven. Uh, Edna Warden, uh, she was uh, forty-eight years old. She had a twelve-year-old daughter by the name of Mar- Margaret. Uh, or Marjorie, um, she was a junior uh, high school student, and they were um, <clears throat> getting on their feet as their husband had had uh, PTSD from fighting in World War One, mm. and he had never really recovered from that, <clears throat> so that caused problems with Edna, and um, he wound up moving back east with his family, uh, where it was. I guess safer for him or he can get away from the things that was causing him the PTSD or try to to try to anyway back then Um, because there was no such thing as PTSD I forget what they called it back then but anyway um, they would stay in this hotel which was like pay by the week or by the month in Bunker Hill which is another historic area 
over there uh, in Los Angeles. So they were close to the historic monument downtown Los Angeles area. And um, <clears throat> after, um, you know, Edna was in the uh, in a really good, like she had a full-time job, plus she was part of the WPA organization, which helps out poverty people. So she was helping people that were down on their luck on the streets. So she was a hard worker and uh, someone good for the city. And, uh, you know, and, and her daughter was um, so familiar to the staff at the hotel. They would always say hi to her. They would say um, she would she would get the um, the newspaper from the, from the funnies, you know, the, the comic mm-hmm. books that the comics. Yeah, that were in the newspaper. The the bell hops would give them to her, and she was always had she always had a smile on her face, and people liked her. And they were also very religious. They were at um, uh, church every Sunday, leaving the hotel and coming back. They had the routine basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, this would be um, a Sunday, um, April fourth. Um, the bell hop that always would give her her Sunday funnies from the comics in the newspaper. Did not see her, and he did not see the two of them leave the church in the morning either. So he didn't think much of it. <clears throat> um, he passed by their rooms and heard heard some uh, faint noises, but didn't think much of it and just went upon his day. But something bothered him, and he had an issue. Uh, he just couldn't get it out of his mind. Like, how come I didn't see the little girl? So he um, asked his his boss if, you know, can we please check on them? I'm, you know, kind of feeling like something happened, you know, like or, or I just want to make sure that they're OK. And uh, so he said, OK, so they open the door and they go in there and automatically they see two or both of them and they they don't look like they're alive or breathing. And so they run out and they call the police right away. Mm. So, right away, the LAPD arrive, and some famous detectives that worked at that time that stayed on the force till about the late 60s, even, um, they went in there and noticed right away the window was open to the fire escape. That was number one. Uh, Edna was laying on the bed on her stomach with her head leaning over the side of the bed. Her dress was torn and raised above her shoulders. And her legs were spread, and she had been raped and beaten over the head. So now it's with the same brick. Yeah, it was. Gra- it's graduated to rape now. Mm. And uh, she bled out on the floor from her head. Um, mm. the the crushing one was the daughter. Um, she was lying the same way. However, um, the brick was next to her head and there was a pillow over, over the top of her head, uh, by her neck and the medical examiner back then said that the post mortem, the mother had been dead for hours, but from the nighttime probably, but the noises that the bellhop heard by going through their or going by their room possibly could have been the daughter gurgling trying to breathe like she was in mm. a she was still alive like she had only passed away 3 hours before the detectives got there mm. damn so Dang, that wait a minute you said her body was positioned the same so they raped her too yes uh. mm. yeah so and years old 12 years old, yeah. Freaking sickos. Yeah. So the problem is, too, I mean, again, you don't have DNA back then, but there was obviously trace traces of semen. Um, there was, you know, fingerprints. It was a bloody mess. And the, at this point, the police are really ramping things up because they're like, okay, this is, this is going way too far. And, uh, you know, obviously... They're gonna they're gonna go pro, uh, proactive here and order a bigger dragnet. We're talking four hundred uniformed police officers now. We're talking yeah. two two hundred plain closed. Yeah, uh, 
18 detectives are working these cases now. As they should, man. That. And what are all these cops supposed to do? Be on the lookout. They're supposed to be fanning the city and basically pulling over every person that fits that description. Unfortunately, it's a young black man. So if you're a young black man in 1937, you're getting harassed in downtown Los Angeles. And it didn't matter. Yep. And back then, you had no rights, whether you were, <laughs> whether you were white or black, especially if you were black. Yeah. You, were, you were being uh, detained unlawfully. Detained. Yep. Yeah. So. And you know what? Hearing what happened and knowing the severity of what these people are doing, I don't blame the officers, obviously. You mm-hmm. know, I don't blame them for taking this drastic matter to find this person. So... Yeah, but it wasn't just a drastic action to find the person. They were really putting some people through a lot of crap that no, had nothing to do with it. I got it. I get it. I'm not saying I'm justifying the officers who put innocent people, but I'm saying you got to find who this person is. You have nothing on them except that he's a young black guy. So, you, I mean, you got to check. And it's still taking them time to find any kind of fingerprints any kind of fingerprints or anything so you know it's like one thing i i gotta be i gotta check you because you could be a murderer i'm not stereotyping i'm not you know pinning you as a murderer yeah huh? but they did like i said i'm not justifying the cops <laughs> but i understand why they do it yeah and that poor bellhop would live with survivor's guilt for the rest of his life he had a hard time dealing with it. Mm. Um, the fact that he could have possibly intervened or saved that poor young girl's life, but we'll never know. He never knew, and he went to his grave very miserable because of that. Um, that's the, sad. That's sad. Yeah, I don't think there's anything he can do, but I get it. Yep, it's understandable, but tough at the same time. Yeah. Uh, famous detective Thad Brown. You can look this guy up. He he worked a lot of cases and actually was one of the first ones to bring in uh, the forensics and all that stuff to the LAPD. He would work 42 years for the LAPD. And uh, he was named... Um, one of the characters was actually used his real name on Dragnet the TV show and radio show. So Thad Brown was uh, part of this case <clears throat> and he took it over personally. And uh, he... he uh, he would push the fingerprint um, laboratory to work overnight, like 24 hours. Like I'm, I'm bringing in more technicians to try to get this. And uh, so, so they were, they were trying to um, do whatever they could. And they, and uh, at this time it got so crazy downtown that Nixon and green parted ways. Green was like, I'm not leaving. Cause Nixon's like, I'm going back to Chicago. I'm familiar with Chicago. I'm going to leave. He goes, come with me. He's like, nope, nope, I'm staying here, man. He goes, I'm going to just stay low, you know. So he's like, all right, suit yourself. So Nixon, you know, took off. He left L.A. So as quickly as the dragnet took over the the whole city of Los Angeles and they were doing their thing, all the assaults, rapes, and, you know, break-ins, they all just stopped overnight, you know. It was just too hot for criminals even the ones that weren't any part of the cases like crime in general went down because there was so many police officers everywhere dang because we're talking that these police officers are working 16 to 18 hour shifts so they had no life yeah they were they were trying to find this guy they were they were hard up on trying to get him so um now, one thing that Thad Brown did that was very, very smart for back in the day, he decided to uh, get the other homicide detectives to write letters to every big city in America asking for help with this case and if they had anything similar to what Los Angeles had. And sure enough, a week later, they got a letter back saying that we have some crimes that could fit what you're what's going on in Los Angeles here in Chicago. Mm. So, so just before all the, the cases took place in Los Angeles, Chicago detectives were talking about some break-ins 
and a murder of a one Florence Castle in 1936 that she was bashed in the forehead with a brick and murdered. Um, she she did not survive that break in in 1936, and there was also more break ins and assault. Uh-uh. In Chicago. So he's been doing this for a minute. Been apparently doing this for a while. Dang. Yeah. So, so you think maybe he got more helpers? There's more people involved? Because Chicago and LA. They're two big cities. Yeah, they are two big cities. And we're going to find that out right now, too, because I think Gabby, Gabby's on to it, too. She's on to it, so too. My question is this you know how he was on his own for those two years? Mm-hmm. Is this how he was surviving? Like, was he. Was someone paying him to do these things, or was he a part of like some gang or something? No, this was <clears throat> this was on him. This was on him. He he led this this charge of whatever, you know, rash of. I, I think he just the the rape thing is debatable. He did he did uh, later on. We'll get into the details as far as um, him saying what he did with that. But I think that was probably spurred on by his accomplices. You know. Mm. Because in the beginning, that wasn't his thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. When he was on his own, he wasn't doing any of that. He wasn't stealing. He wasn't raping. He was just killing people. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> so here's a, another crazy twist. Um, the the cases that they had in Chicago, the fingerprint crew had already linked all those together. And as they're presenting the evidence to the LAPD, and the LAPD is like, okay, you know, we're going to bring our stuff to you and see if it compares our fingerprint stuff three days later as they're preparing to fly over to chicago or take the train whatever they were going to do uh florence johnson uh was in her house and she was um she started to scream and what happened was in chicago they had started putting police officers close to buildings that had fire escapes and they caught two young men leaving the house or the the unit and as they ran up there they just got there a little too late miss florence johnson had been beaten to death with a brick Mm. and they caught um they caught mr nixon coming out of the uh unit with scratches and blood all over him Mm. so they would catch um they, they, he gave the alias of Thomas Crosby, but when they ran, when they did his fingerprints compared to the ones that they had on file, which he had been arrested as a juvenile in Chicago, the fingerprints matched up to Robert Nixon. So uh. now, now they knew who it was. So <clears throat> he had also um, the other man that had fled the area, the police caught up with him and it was um eric hicks was his accomplice um who would also help him rob and and uh commit the assaults so he had so so gabby was right too he got another uh a, a accomplice there in chicago mm, mm, mm. okay so in custody robert would confess to florence castle killing her um also um he killed uh he said that he uh killed a uh, 24 year old uh, girl as well um that he would you know shine her shoes or and take the luggage up to her you know unit when he was a driver there in 1936 um he became obsessed with her and thought she was the most beautiful woman he ever saw when he tried to uh you know as a 16, 17 year old tried to, to, to shoot his game at her, she turned him down. That enraged him. And uh, he began to beat her with a brick. Um, he would also attack a 23 year old named Alda Deary in a Washington hotel. He came up with the uh, fire, uh, fire escape. He would admit to getting up into her room and raping her after he beat her with a brick. Oh. Um, yeah. So she was dead. She was dying. 
but dying. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, also there was another woman that he would also uh, uh, admit to uh, raping and beating as well uh, before he left there in 1937. Um, he would leave fingerprints at all those cases, like I said, and then, you know, the final murder in 1938 in Chicago, they would link all those together. And then when the LAPD finally got there, they were surprised that he struck again. And when they brought their fingerprint analysis stuff and, and, and or fingerprints over there, they, ana- uh, they ran it and they were able to see that they matched up as well and that they had their they had their murder in both cities. Hmm. So it was one of those first. It was one of those first uh, crimes that linked two cities that they actually worked together that long ago. So yeah, because ha- normally you don't get that. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing too, Thad Brown was like a genius too because he was thinking, "Is this guy playing it up for the newspaper?" Because at the time the newspapers were running wild. There was like the TMZ mm-hmm. of back then, and they were all these sensational like you know headlines of either something racial towards nixon or making him into this huge monster and mm-hmm. you know like so the headlines were, were were crazy and um he's like is nixon trying to maybe um like play himself up he knows he's caught is he gonna confess to more murders just for the hell of it so he got smart and, and one of they would have him recreate the murders in certain hotels. And mm-hmm. he went into the hotel and messed up all the furniture and put it in different areas. And he was like, okay, you know, if let's see how he can remember this and if he'll figure this out. And when Nixon came in right away, he's like, no, this went here, this went there. And he put, put it exactly back to where it was. So right there, Thad Brown was like, okay, he, he's the killer. Only he would know these details, you know? So, Dang. Dang, yeah. how did he remember the details of how the apartment looked? Nixon would even draw out the floor plan. That's how much he, he was like in detail. So the media was playing him out to be stupid, but he was really smart. I mean, maybe obviously the things that he did was heinous and bad, but as far as like his mental capacity, he was a smart kid. Dang. So, um, wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So now as we wind this one down, um, Green in Los Angeles turned state's witness to save his life. Um, he he went, uh, both accomplices turned state witness, and they were able to um, uh, turn on Robert. And uh, in... That's, uh, that's weak. That's stupid. Yeah. Well, How are you going to let you switch? You were an accomplice to all of that. You're a part of it, but you get to switch and turn it over and just pin it on the one guy and you get to go free. You're on their side now. Correct. That's so, ridiculous. So how many how many years do you think in 1938 when he went to trial and turned state witness did um, Green get in Los Angeles? I'm going to say this is before Newsom, so I'm going to say 10 years. He's a black man, remember. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm going to say 15. I'm going to say five. <laughs> you're you're actually closer, Matt. He got three years. What? Yeah, he got three years. As soon as you said he's a black man, I was like, yeah, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna make it low. Why did he get less than if he wasn't black? Well, actually, I was trying to I was trying to get you guys to guess high, but... <laughs> But uh, but that, that was me, twi- yeah that was a twist. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. When you said black, I was like, oh yeah, they're gonna throw it low. They don't want no no racial. They don't want the accuser too. <laughs> I would have thought because they're racist, they're gonna give him more. They didn't want that tension. They that's, were already going through that. And see, that's what I thought too. I thought that they were gonna give him something like twenty years, even though he was a state's witness. But he only got three, but the twist on top of that twist is the fact that he would pretty much serve 80% of the rest of his life in prison for various other offenses that he would that he would commit afterwards. So either petty crime to assault and battery, it kept him in and out of jail the rest of his life. Uh, That's so he, why you don't give these fools a chance of anything. Yep. 
And as far as Earl Hicks in Chicago, uh, he joined up with Robert Nix, uh, the one that helped, or, or he joined up with Robert Nixon to help him with those crimes. He also turned um, uh, state's witness and he got 14 years uh, in the state penitentiary, um, but was paroled in 1953. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's been out since? Yeah, he he was he was out until his uh, his death, I think, in the late seventies, early eighties. So, mm. yeah, so he actually got in the straight and narrow after that. But he died yeah. young then. Yeah, pretty much. He didn't live a long life. Mm-mm. Um. So again, um, he would be, as far as Robert Nixon, he would be uh, dragged through the mud, obviously, as he should, because of all the crap he did. Heck uh, the, yeah. Yeah, the media would would go after him and everything. Um, but here's the thing. Remember I'm Robert? Be mad. No. Well, I mean, I think you might, depending on what your stance is on this. So, right. so again, okay. So, with him being paroled at that point in '41, and then he had the other guy in '53. At this point, Nixon's been dead since 1939. What? What? Yeah, Nixon would be convicted on all the murders. He was convicted of six and uh, the assaults and everything and was given the electric chair. Wow. So in Cook County Prison in Chicago, Illinois, on June 16th, 1939, he wasn't even 20 years yet old. He was uh, he was put to death by the electric chair at 19. So he was credited with five murders, but it's really six, and then uh, countless rapes and assaults. Hey, wow. He got, he got electrocuted. See, how come things don't work that way now? Where someone's convicted and they get death penalty, get rid of them. Why are they sitting down warming up a bed that <laughs> could go to somebody who's homeless? I don't know. Like, what the hell? Back then, they actually it's like, all right, that one's dead. Get to business. Get him out. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> oh, go ahead, Matt. No, that joke uh, with Dave Chappelle. Get him, Johnson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't understand either. I mean, like, I know that it was as good as DNA as far as like his confession. It's not like it was beaten out of him. He he proved different tests. It was high profile. Um, you know, th- there was fingerprint analysis. So I mean, he was dead to rights. I mean, he's like, he, he, you know, but those other guys got off easy because you you would assume without DNA, one or both of them sexually assaulted. The, the females at some point oh, and big facts yeah and then then this guy takes the brunt of it um and yeah they off him right away and gabby's right i mean you could you can even if you're in a state like texas sometimes you could play it out as far as a decade before they kill you in some states you can really? tw- 25 texas? years yeah like like mm. if you use your appeals right you could you could at least spare yourself a good 10 years which they're they're as quick as any state here in america to actually go through the death penalty Mm. but but it was controversial at the time because he's not even 21 yet and they put him to death you know so well i um, mean that's the life he chose yeah yeah nobody told him to go and do it i don't see what's the controversy there yeah well i mean some people have the you know different way of like because i think as far as the true crime community ours I think there's a lot of people that agree with me, agree with Gabby, agree with you. And then there's there's some that, like, when it comes to the death penalty, you're either for it or you're against it. You know, some people just rather have the person rot. Some people just want them, like, like Gabby, off with their wang, off with their head, whatever. Just get rid of them. That's I the mean, thing. They don't even rot. Those bastards live better than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm for it because I feel like if a lot of states actually went with the death penalty and did things how it was back then, there wouldn't be too much crime. I'm not saying it would eliminate crime, but I'm sure the fear of knowing that if I get caught, 
I can get the death penalty. It might slow crime down. I agree. True. True. I mean, it. it, it it's, that's what it was originally set for anyway, was a deterrent. But yeah. not as much now. And I'll show you guys uh, what this, what Robert Nixon looked like right here. If I can pull it up while we're on here and maybe you guys can give me your, uh, your feelings on this one or see what you think here. We put it in the message thing. All right. There it is. All right. Uh, that's him, huh? That's him. That's Not going to lie. Not gonna lie, he has those eyes of a criminal. But he looks—he looks so young, right? He does look young, but he does look older at the same time. He looks young but older at the same time, if that makes sense. But he got those sleepy eyes, man. To me, he looks like a regular kid who might have been targeted. Poss possibly. I mean, you would get that—you know—that look, but. I mean, I mean, in that picture with the group, like the guy behind him looks, was he one of them? The guy behind him? Uh, let's see. No, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I, I do know that that's Thad Brown in the forefront with him. That's the famous LAP, uh, LAPD detective. Brown. But I don't know if that's green behind him or not. Al Capone I, in the back. Honestly, no. I wouldn't see the guy and think that he's a killer. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I he's, wouldn't think he's a killer, but I would think some. You'd be careful with him, but you could just see it in his eye. Yeah, he has that that look in his eye. Now, you see the other picture I sent with the um, the one where he's next to that. That's Miss Valdez, the one that had the baby. Oh, oh no, we only got two. Okay. Oh, oh, there they go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so you that's Miss Valdez. That's Miss Valdez, and then that the next picture is him getting his last rights written, uh, read to him while he's in the jail cell. And then the yeah, last, the last picture is Margaret, the one that was the twelve-year-old. <sighs> yeah, that's. I believe, and I believe you're right. Okay, so here's here's a, here I got one more picture. I'll probably post this one because. This is the one where you could tell. This is, the, I think you're, uh, you guys nailed it. I didn't even know that on that picture, but that is green in the background. You guys were right. And here's, oh, the two, okay. yeah, here's the two of them together right here. He looks scary. He, I would have seen him and been like, uh oh. Yeah, see, that's, that's both. Yeah, he, he looked, he looked introverted. Like, like he's a uh, sneaky. You know, they say them quiet ones you got to watch out for. That's what, uh, green look like, but Sleepy Joe, uh, your boy Nixon right here. He you can see in his eyes, man. You can see something ain't right. Something ain't right. I'm not saying he's a killer. But if you look at these pictures, but you go he was. I'm I, no, I'm not stereotyping him and saying like, oh he he black, he a killer. But he just has something in his eyes where you just look like, okay, something I gotta watch. You can't trust can't trust. Yeah, to me he has those like dead eyes, you know, like that. Yeah, he got those sleepy don't yeah. look through you eyes like where you don't got emotion yeah he, he look emotionless like you, you can see in his eyes yeah I'll, I'll post these pictures when we post the the episode i know so. we uh, the audience is probably looking at us like what picture <laughs> <laughs> yeah i want to see <laughs> <laughs> yeah but on the social media you could check it out and it was like i said it was a controversial case back in the day uh very much so um but um uh, it brought two big cities together i mean um that was a rash of pretty heinous crimes that happened just out of nowhere. Now look where we're at now in 2023. Those two big cities are still dealing with heinous crime, but this time it's just out of control. Yeah, I mean, that that could be a show for, you know, like we wouldn't even have to get into a case. We could just <laughs> give you examples on how bad it's gotten, unfortunately, in two good cities that used to, I mean, obviously they weren't, 100% safe, but they're a lot more dangerous now than they were before. Uh -huh. You know, so. But that's all I got for this case. Well, thank you there, Ty Fox, for breaking down that story. We apologize for any technical difficulties that you may experience, but uh, we got through it. So um, thank you once again, Ty Fox. You're welcome. He deserved what he got.
electrocuted. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Especially when you rape and kill a child. Yeah, you 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 take a child out like out you cross the line. Or you kill somebody's mom in front of them. Mm -hmm. like, nah. Yeah. You cross the line with that one. For me, women and children, man, you, you especially children. Cross the line. Absolutely. Yeah. So once again, thank you. And we thank you, audience, for listening in. And like Todd said, soon, very soon. We're going to be pushing out more episodes, pushing out more episodes. So this is the beginning of a brand new era. <laughs> exactly. Thank you again, um, Todd. So uh, for our audience, I want to let you guys know we're signing off. But before we do, let you guys know where you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just type in Grinding True Crimes. And there you can follow us. If you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, obviously you can go Find us on Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, Podvine, and Zencaster. And those outside of the U.S., Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. Okay, this has been your host, Maddie Matt, along with Gabby Gab and Todd Fox. And we are signing out. Toodles. Peace. I love you. You love, oh, no. love me. <laughs> Wait, wrong show. Y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs>